we are the Graves family. My name is Kent. I'm Brittany. This is Bennett. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm going to read Acts 8, um, 26 through 40. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the ability to gather on another Lord's Day. And unlike many of our brothers and sisters around the world, uh, we, we don't have to fear uh, coming to worship you and hearing your word. Thank you for that. Thank you for the direction and leadership of this church. I pray that we would be an example for you as we go out and we would find ways to submit to you in every area of our lives. It's in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. If you haven't already, I invite you to turn to uh, the eighth chapter of the book of Acts. Uh, we will be wrapping up this chapter this morning. Uh, <clears throat> It's been good to be back in Acts, and if you're a guest with us, again, thank you for being here. Uh, last Sunday, I did make mention of a need uh, to our church member, our church family, that uh, Luke, uh, October 15th through November 2nd-ish, uh, Luke's going to be in India. And so <clears throat> last week, I put a need before us that if you feel led to, to help ascend him uh, there, uh, he bought plane tickets this week. I don't remember the exact number his plane tickets were. Uh, but we do know that field cost was fifteen, eighteen hundred bucks. Anyway, if you feel any le leadership from the Holy Spirit to help give towards Luke's uh, um, trip there and time there, I didn't tell you how to do that last week. Uh, really, two ways is if you do it online, you can do a one-time gift there. 
and just memo it to Luke, or if you have a check and on the memo, just write for Luke's trip. Kind of Any anything could help if you if you feel led to that. Anyway, this morning, Acts chapter eight, uh, just kind of bring us up to speed where we are uh, in the text, and so. Uh, <clears throat> When we get done with chapter seven, that is whenever uh, Stephen, our first, the first Christian martyr, was uh, was stoned to death there. When we picked up uh, the churches because the persecution is being scattered uh, through Judea and Samaria. Uh, remember, we use that word "scattered" big time because it's as if it's the same picture. Uh, whenever uh, Jesus talks about the scattering of seed, and uh, so we have that picture of the gospel being scattered to Judea and Samaria as the church is being uh, spread through persecution or scattered through persecution. Last week, we looked uh, when the gospel reached Samaria, uh, and then many believed, and there was also a man named Simon Magus there, Simon the Magician, uh, who uh, starting off, it looked good. He, he believed, he was baptized, he followed with Philip, and then it wasn't until the apostles came who were still in Jerusalem uh, that really it, it kind of showed face there and uh, we see Philip was, uh, his heart was uh, not in the right place, that he, he wasn't truly uh, born again, if you will. And the, the text ended last week with the, uh, the apostles uh, going back to Jerusalem and on their way preaching through the villages in Samaria. Uh, and so the last place we see uh, Philip uh, was in Samaria. We don't know if he stayed in Samaria or if he went back to uh uh, Jerusalem with the apostles, I tend to believe that he stayed in Samaria because why would he leave Samaria? I mean, things are happening. People are believing. There's a lot of things going on. But when we turn to the text of this morning, uh, God calls him somewhere else. And this will be really the last time we see Philip until Acts 22, uh, whenever we read that he had four daughters who were prophetess. Uh, and so I can't wait to get there. Uh, but anyway, so the man of faith, this will be the last time we really see him because in chapter 9, a guy named Saul comes to know the Lord, and we know, obviously know how uh, the story changes from there. And so in this inter-transitional uh, time from Jerusalem, remember I'll remind you of Acts 1.8, uh, where Jesus says, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. So check, check, check. Last part is to the ends of the earth. I want to go ahead and give you the main point or the title this morning is God's work in seeking and saving. God's work in seeking and saving. Uh, I think that the main point of this text this morning is that God is actively drawing people into the kingdom and sending workers into the harvest. And when we read this text, man, it is crystal clear to me that Luke was very intentional, that he wanted us to see that God's at work. That God is God is the one drawing people into the kingdom. That it is God who is building His church. It is the attention is not shouldn't be on Philip. The attention shouldn't be on Peter or John or even Stephen. The, the attention is on God because it is God who is drawing people to Himself. It is God who is building His church, and He's just using people to do so. The second side note, if you will, if you it's not going to come on the screen is that God cares for the soul of an individual just as much as he does the masses, right? So he's just leaving Samaria where, man, people, young and old, are coming to faith in Jesus. And then now we read this text of this, this random place in the desert on the road. There's this one Ethiopian eunuch that God is concerned about the individual just as he is the masses. If you're taking notes, number one, 
Uh, it is crystal clear that Luke wants us to see God at work. Everybody with me? So we're looking at God's work. Uh, first of all, God's work in the world, right? So we're introduced that in verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go southward. Uh, uh, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. If you mark in your Bible, just underline desert place there or write it in your notes, desert place, because I, I think it's going to be really cool in a minute. Just remember, he went to a desert place. Everybody with me? All right, cool. And so now we're introduced to the other character in the story. It says, so Philip rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who's in charge of all her treasure. So I'm about to tell you something that's really cool uh, that I could end the sermon at this point. And you'll see what I'm talking about. So, so far in Acts 1, you'll be my what? Witnesses in Jerusalem? Check. Judea, Samaria? Check. What's left the ends of the earth? Ethiopia or Africa to the Greeks in this day, do you know what it was known as? The ends of the earth. And so literally, just in chat, all right, so we see Judea, Samaria, and now we have a story of the gospel where getting to the literal end of the earth in their day. So we're introduced to an Ethiopian eunuch. And so uh, if you don't know what a eunuch is, ask your parents and they'll tell you afterwards. Uh, now I'm, I'm going to cover it. But anyway, we we're introduced to this Ethiopian eunuch, uh, and uh, he is a official in uh, for the queen, uh, Candace, if you will, of the Ethiopians. And so the Ethiopians had a king and queen. Uh, the king was seen as like a son of God, if you will, as a really deity. So he was too high and too holy uh, to deal with like normal everyday affairs. And so finances and things like that, they didn't deal with. So their wives, the queen would always handle the treasure, if you will. Uh, and um, the wife say amen to that, right? So they handle the money and, and what's going on with that. And so uh, really the, the person that used definitely through the Old Testament, what you see is that's appointed uh, to be like the, the chairman of the finances, if you will, with oftentimes eunuchs. And eunuchs, if for, they were men who literally lost their manhood. Uh, they, uh, and the reason why they made the perfect uh, person for that position is because they really couldn't be tempted by much, right? And so they couldn't be lured to, 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 to you know, sexual advancements, if you will. Uh, so the treasure would be safe. And so here we have this Ethiopian eunuch. And Scripture tells us something very strange here, is that he had went to Jerusalem to worship, which is really interesting. I hope we catch that. Because evidently, he was from Egypt. This is an African that we're talking about here. Probably looked a lot like the man we prayed for this morning, this, this eunuch that had come from Africa to Jerusalem to worship, which means he was coming to worship the Jerusalem, the Judean God, right? Everybody, or the, uh, the, the Jewish God, uh, Yahweh. And so it tells us a little bit about him, that he was, a, he was a, what is known as a proselyte. Something I learned in my studies over the past couple of weeks is, you know, when we read the Old Testament, we always see like Israel going from monotheism, this one God chasing after these religions of polytheism, these multiple gods and things like that. But another thing that happened in this time was there were people that were, that grew up in these polytheistic, uh, if you will, this, this, this crazy religions that got burned out on that. And they would be, get then began seeking the God of of the Jews, this monotheist, this one God. So evidently, this guy was one of those guys. That he grew up in Egypt, 
Uh, but at some point in his life, he's like, you know what? These gods really aren't satisfying. I'm going to go and worship uh, this, this God in Jerusalem. But the issue is, is Deuteronomy 23.1, I think it's going to come up on the screen, uh, says this about a eunuch. No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off, so that's what a eunuch is if you didn't know, uh, was cut off. They, they shall, no one, if this has happened, shall enter the assembly of the Lord. So in Deuteronomy, here's his issue. So at some point inside him, he's seeking this Yahweh, he's seeking this God of the Jews, but because of Jewish law, him being a eunuch, he could never fully be a part of the assembly of the God. Everybody with you? So there, there, there's this issue going on. There's this God he's seeking, but because of the law, that he would have never been able to be fully Jew, if you will. Yet, he was seeking the God of Judaism. But what we understand in this text is what he would learn on this day, he, that he was the one actually being sought. He was seeking this God of, of Judaism, but what we see is actually it was God who was actually seeking him. If you're taking notes, is that God drew the Ethiopian through his words. And not only had he gone to, to Egypt, I mean, only to go to Jerusalem, not only was he from a place that was literally called the end of the earth, to come to Jerusalem to worship, but maybe he didn't catch this. Inside his chariot, he had a scroll of Isaiah. That you, People just didn't walk around with scrolls. The fact that he actually had a scroll of Isaiah was a pretty big deal. I don't know how he got it, but evidently God in his providence allowed this man to carry a copy, get a copy of the book of Isaiah. But why is Isaiah so important? Obviously, we understand that he was reading out loud, and we'll get to that, the minute, that in a minute, but he was reading out loud the text of the suffering servant. But in my mind, maybe, maybe I'm reading into it, but maybe, maybe I'm right. I don't know. Right now, I'm right. So you can tell me I'm wrong later. But there's a passage in Isaiah 56 that really reverses the curse of Deuteronomy 23. Throw that up on the screen for me. This is Isaiah 56. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree, for thus says the Lord. To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name. So better than sons and daughters, I will give them an everlasting ending that they shall not be cut off. So listen to me. Here's God seeking this eunuch through his word, right? First of all, how he had the copy, only by the grace of God. Not only, but he was turned, I, I, I think maybe if I, was, if I was a eunuch and said, you know what, I really, I really want to, you know, trust in this God, but I can't because I'm a eunuch. If I found a passage like Isaiah 56 that said, hey, I was cut off, but God's going to reverse that and bring me to the family, that would get my attention. Am I with me? Like, and so God is drawing him through his word. He was actually reading, like I said, the passage of the suffering servant when Philip gets there. So God drew the Ethiopian through his word. But not only that, but God sent a messenger on his way. So he had gone to Jerusalem. His worship, he was there for one of the, the feasts or festivals, I'm sure, worshiping. He couldn't go into the temple. He would have had to stand at the outer, at, at the outer gates. He was there doing his thing, going back, just reading Isaiah. Then all of a sudden, they're literally the language of whenever Philip goes to the chariot is literally like Philip jumped on the side of the chariot. 
All of a sudden, this random dude just jumps on the side of the chariot, and the first question you ask is, hey, do you understand what you're reading? What? <laughs> like, providence, y'all see what's going on here, that God is actively seeking and saving those who are lost? That it is God's work, it is God's mission, it is what God is doing in this story. God sent a messenger on his way, and we'll talk about the messenger in a minute. I don't know, number three or number four is, remember where they were, a desert? And what happens? They're just driving. He believes and he goes, hey, look, there's water for me to be baptized. What? They're in a desert. There's not supposed to be water there. Like you just see God orchestrating and bringing this guy to the knowledge of himself and following that in baptism so much so that there was water in the middle of a desert randomly at the right time. God's work in the world is that he drew the Ethiopian through his word. He sent a messenger on his way. He even provided water for baptism in the desert. And here's the last thing is that God through that Ethiopian got the gospel to Africa, which was the end of the earth. Church history tells us that this guy became a missionary to Ethiopia and Africa. So God's at work. I hope we see that crystal clear that through this, this narration, this, this story is that, man, God is behind the scenes moving and leading and drawing and making happen, reversing the curse of this eunuch and giving him the promise that he will become a son or daughter. So my question to you this morning is, are you seeking something? Maybe you're here this morning because you're a child of God and you, you come to church because that's what we do. But maybe inside of you, you say, no, nah, I don't think I'm a Christian, but you're here this morning. God has provided you an opportunity to sit under the same word that this Ethiopian eunuch was reading. And what I want you to see this morning is that you, your seeking is actually evidence that you're being sought. Like this morning, if you find yourself under the sound of my voice, say, Justin, I'm not a believer, I'm not against it, maybe I'm looking for something. What I want to tell you is that you being here interested in this thing is actually God showing you that he's seeking you. To believe and to trust in him, to place your faith in Christ Jesus for the salvation of your soul. I asked you the question this morning, do you feel like you've been cut off? Maybe you've, maybe because of a physical condition or a disease that you've had, or maybe decisions you've made in your life, maybe the sin that has besetted you your whole life, maybe the enemy has whispered, yes, God can save all people, but he can't save you. I'm here to tell you he reversed the curse of the eunuch, but he's reversed the curse that said you were separated from him in Christ Jesus. You can be made new and alive. Say, Justin, I don't know if God's seeking me. Think about it. Say you're not a Christian. Are there like godly people in your life all around you? Maybe God's led you to work somewhere or be a part of something, be around people that, that know God. Listen to me. That's not by coincidence. That is the God of the universe seeking after you. Will you trust in him this morning? You may have noticed whenever Brittany was reading, or maybe even in your text, that we only have verses 36, then it goes to 38. Uh, some of yours may have a verse 37. The ESV does not. Uh, verse 37, if yours does have it in there, uh, it was later added by church history, maybe 
We don't know why, if it was because for more baptismal services, because yours may actually read, and Philip said, if you believe with all your heart, and you may in your plot, I believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God. So that's, yours may have it in there. Some translations don't, but there, that's the reason why, if you have an ESV, it goes from 36 to 38, because there was a verse that was added at some point in the context. And it wouldn't be a wrong thing to say is, what, what's keeping me from being baptized is, do you believe in the Lord Jesus? Then yes, I do. Then yes, you can be baptized. And that's the deal this morning. I, the thing is, is what's keeping you from, from believing in Jesus? What's keeping you from trusting in Christ? Because I'll tell you this, on God's side, he's removed every obstacle for you to trust in his son. Will you do that this morning? There's nothing on God's side that would keep you from trusting in Jesus. And here's the other cool, encouraging point is that God will use you to get his gospel where he's already placed you and where he calls you next. Here was this Ethiopian eunuch who, yeah, he had it made, right? He was the treasure, like he, he was the chairman of finances for the queen of Ethiopia. But that for him, that was going to be as good as it was going to be. And so one day in God's providence, there was a strange man in the middle of a desert who jumped on his chariot to explain to him what the prophet Isaiah was talking about so that he could be born again saved. And God sent him back to be, a, to be a witness of this great gospel in his hometown. If he can do this with a eunuch who was once cut off both physically and by his nationality, he can use you to be a messenger of his gospel. So the first thing we see is God's work in the world. The second thing I want you to see is God's work in his people. So here's the crazy awesome thing and the privilege that we have. On one side, we see that God is sovereign and omnipotent enough. If he's omnipotent enough to put a, 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 water, a water pool in the desert for this guy to be baptized in it immediately after salvation, that ultimately he doesn't need us Right, so there's one side is it's humbling and you know God doesn't need me because He's God, but in His design and in His great wisdom, He uses His people for His purposes. Are you with me? That's His design. So there's a work that He does in us. Not only is He working in the world. Not all. Listen to me. Not only right now in South Mississippi, where you spend your Monday through Saturday, I believe 100% that God's at work there. Not only is he doing that in our families and in our neighborhoods and the people that are around us, at the same time, he's doing a work in us to be a part of the work that he's doing out there. Everybody with me? All right, so first of all, what we see in verse 26, it says, Now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south. And then we see it again in verse 29. And the Spirit said to Philip. And so you say, Justin, was it an angel that spoke to him? The angels still speak to us. The, the word really angel and spirit there are kind of almost the same word in the original. Uh, this almost sounds like an Old Testament story when we're reading like angel of the Lord said to Philip. And, but the picture is what, what Luke wants us to see is not get bogged down in that because that's where our Western minds want to go. What Luke wants us to see is it is God who's initiating all of this. It is God who said to Philip, whether through angel or through the Holy Spirit, hey, get up and go south. He didn't tell him, it's very much an Abraham, Abrahamic call, not just go that way. Just do this. Not like, well, what am I doing? I'm not telling you that yet. Just go, just go that direction. Go that way. He says, so the, says the angel of the Lord said, 
rise and go south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So ultimately, he said, there's a road that goes from Jerusalem to Africa. I want you to go on that road. And this road was, Alexander the Great had demolished it. And so it really wasn't like, it was more like I-49 or Highway 49 before they fixed it. Like it was not the best, smoothest road in the world. There was nobody really going to be on it. And God says, go there. And it says he went there. Then when he got there, we see that verse 29, that this chariot was coming. So uh, you could imagine, imagine Philip for a moment. I'll get this in a second. Dude, things are busting at the seams in Samaria. And the guy says, hey, go down there and on this road in the desert. So imagine just in your mind, booming, salvations, things, mighty works are happening. And now all of a sudden, we don't have the time frame, but now Philip's just standing on this road in the middle of a desert. All right, could like imagine that picture for us. And then all of a sudden, there's this chariot that starts coming by. And this, day, this isn't just like, this dude had probably had an entourage, right? He probably had people, because he had treasure in there, he probably had an entourage of people protecting and guarding and things like that. So everybody with me? So now the Spirit of the Lord says, hey, go down, just stand there. And then you could imagine Philip seeing this chariot coming and go, all right, maybe something's going on here. And then the Spirit says, now go up to the chariot. Literally, the picture is that he literally jumped on the side of the chariot. And what I want you to see is the first point, and this is the very practical point, is that the Holy Spirit leads God's people personally. Here's, here's a great thing about Christianity and following Jesus, is that our God is not some far-off, distant, impersonal God. But He resides within His people. He's near His people. At the moment of salvation, Scripture teaches that we have been sealed by the Spirit. And Jesus promises that Spirit will guide us. It will be our guide to truth. Right? It is the very presence of God within us. And so get this whole picture is that God's at work ahead of us in places. And at the same time, God's at work in us, leading us to those places he's already at work. He's personal. We see that the Holy Spirit enables us to love. We're talking about Ethiopian eunuch here, y'all. Skin color was different. He was cut off from Judaism, in a sense. He was probably looked down upon by this other Jews, if you will, but by the leadership of the Holy Spirit as God directing and leading Philip to go to these places, he was able to sit down by, right beside him, shoulder to shoulder and cheer it and explain the gospel to him. It didn't matter who he was, what he looked like, where he came from. The Holy Spirit was enabling him to look at this man as another sinner who needs grace. The third thing is the Holy Spirit leads us to obedience. And here's the crazy thing about obedience. You ready? I wrote this because somebody needs to hear it. Obedience, I think I wrote it. Obedience is one step at a time. That's why I drew the picture of him being in Samaria and God saying, go down the road towards Gaza that's a desert place. Can you imagine 
again, Philip, like, you sure you got this thing right? Like, I'm really being used over here. People are listening. Listen, Simon's lost his, his following. They're all following. Like, you could use me so much here, God. No, go that way. Okay. Probably take a step. This is, if it was me. God, like, are you sure you want me to leave this place over here? Now, step by step, he gets there. And he stops at some point. I don't know why I don't know if the Holy Spirit said stop here, if there was a T in the road or there's a flashing light that said this is where he's going to come. I don't know, but it's something, but it was there, but he didn't have his next marching orders. But what was he doing? He was being obedient to what God had called him to do. Oftentimes, we rush the process and we want to know the end result or where I'm going to be in five years. Listen to me. I don't know if I'm going to be alive tomorrow, but I do know what God's called me to do today. And if I'm not obedient to it today, I'm not going to arrive at it five years from now. Obedience is a step-by-step moment. Walking by the Spirit that we see in Galatians chapter 5 is like, man, if you walk by the Spirit, you're not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have this picture that's like, yes, I'm going to get so strong and I'll just defeat the flesh. No, walking by the Spirit is step one. I'm doing what the old Holy Spirit's leading me to do. It's telling me to say no to myself, so I'm saying no to myself. Step two, Holy Spirit's leading me to do this. And little by little, the walking by the Spirit, being filled by the Spirit, where He overtakes over, He's the boss. What we do is find ourselves walking in the will of the Lord in victory. And where God wants us to be, listen to me, but obedience is a step-by-step thing. And listen to me, sometimes it doesn't always look like it makes sense. You mean you want me to go walk across the room and go talk to somebody who I have nothing in common with? Or you want me to start driving this way to work so I can pick up that guy who's on the side of the road? Or you want me to lead my family this way? That doesn't make sense. A couple of questions. I think I put them all together. Is so I've got, what is the Spirit leading you to do? Where is the Spirit leading you to go? And who is the Spirit leading you to? Because here's the thing. God is at work in the world. And whenever you came to faith in Jesus, you now became his ambassador. Not just you, but me, right? Sorry, I'm not pointing at you. You is inclusive to me, okay? Right with me. So Justin's telling me it's all of us. When we come to faith in Jesus, we become his servants, his witnesses. And here's the great thing. You ready? God didn't leave it to us to have to figure it out. He placed his spirit within us to lead us to those things. And he gave us his word to inform us of those things. We don't need, listen to me, with the Spirit in my heart and the Bible in my hand, we got all we need, y'all. Moving on. Not only is God at work in the world and in His people, but God works through His people. I just want to read 29 through 38 real quick. Again, it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and can you, like timing y'all, 
Dude's been hanging out in the middle of a desert. This chariot comes. When Philip gets to the chariot, the dude is reading Isaiah 53. Can you make you see it abundantly clear that Luke wants to see who's orchestrating these things? <clears throat> He's reading Isaiah the prophet, and he asks, do you understand what you are reading? Man, what a practical question to ask someone who wants to know about the Lord. Hey, do you... Do you understand? You understand what you're reading? Not, hey, can you define me or can you give me the, you know, can you explain soteriology to me? Which is the study of salvation, by the way. Can you explain to me your eschatology? Do you understand when is Jesus coming back at this point or is it that point? He said, no, do you you just understand? Do you understand what you're reading? Do you understand who Isaiah is talking about? And look at the humility of this man. He says, how can I, unless someone guides me? How can I understand this? See the humility? And this guy wasn't like a, this dude was, he was top ranking. He was probably educated. He was probably well-versed. But what was happening? God was working. God was drawing. And the scripture that he was seeing that was illuminating his eyes, it's like, was it too good to be true? Was it like something was happening? And when Philip said, do you understand? He said, how can I understand this without you telling me what it means? See the humility when God's at work in the sinner's heart? I'm, I know nothing. Can you please show me? Now the passage, or he invited Philip to come in and sit with him. Verse 32. The passage of Scripture that he was reading was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens out his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can ascribe his generation for his life was taken away from earth? And check out the question, the unit, which is a reasonable question. About whom, I ask you, does the prophet talk about? Who is this prophecy talking about? And that's an appropriate question because if you read Jeremiah, Jeremiah talks about his own sufferings a lot, right? Other prophets talked about the things that they were going through. So the eunuch is asking, is Isaiah talking about himself? Or is he talking about somebody else? And what is going on here? And look what, I love this. In verse 35, then Philip, he opened up his mouth. He began with this scripture and he told him the good news about Jesus. <laughs> By the way, that's kind of the design that Luke and I are trying to teach is we're going to start with this scripture. This is exposition. What he did, he, he, he was doing expositional teaching. He was, all right, Isaiah, this is what Isaiah, this is what he's saying. This is the meaning of the text. Here's how it points to Jesus, and this is how it applies to your life. Exactly what he's doing here. He starts with Isaiah, and he shares the good news by Jesus. And then randomly, verse 36, as they were going along the road, he said, they came to some water. The eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? See, not only is it God at work in the world and in us, but he wants to work through us. He said, do you understand what you're reading and that's what I, I wrote this down, is that the Bible 
Listen to me, the Bible's meant to be understood. That's what we see here, this man who's wrestling with the pages, but he doesn't quite understand it. But I believe that the Scripture is, is meant to be understood. Uh, I read a story about Spurgeon talking to one of his buddies, and his, they were talking about some certain doctrine that in the Scripture that Spurgeon was like, this is a crystal clear doctrine. If you read Scripture, you'll see this. And he said, his buddy said, man, I've read my Bible through six times while bending down on my knees, but I never arrived to understanding of that doctrine. And Spurgeon looked and said, brother, that's a very uncomfortable position to read your Bible. You should be sitting down in a natural position so that you can read the Scriptures and understand them. And he said, the pace that you're going through, trying to get done, that's not going to help either. Why don't you just slow down for a moment and actually try to understand Scripture? child of God, the Holy Spirit has placed you where you are to help people understand. Now listen to me, both in word and deed, both in life and the communication that you have. I wrote this down, our words and our lives can either help clarify the gospel or make it more muddy. And notice that Philip didn't have to go I was going to let me think about it. No, Philip was just, he was prepared. He was able to, he was able to teach the gospel. And I wrote this down. He was led, but he wasn't unprepared. We have this picture of, of being led by the Spirit is, man, there's no preparation on my part. I just, I wheelie-neely, just the Spirit's going to lead me. And no, yes, he does, but no, he doesn't. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a, there's an understanding that Philip was very familiar with the scriptures and very familiar with the gospel that in a blink of a, like in a drop of a hat, he could say, look, this is who Isaiah is talking about. Let me tell you why it's good news for you. There's a familiarity that Philip had with the gospel that he didn't have to rush and call his pastor real quick and say, hey, pastor, can you help me real quick? He didn't have to call Peter and say, Peter, there's this eunuch who asked me. He's like, no, he knew the gospel. He knew the, for the, he had a reason for the hope that he had within him. And he was able to draw on, a, on the blink of an eye, he was able to share that good news. I think it, um, actually I don't remember who it was. <clears throat> it may have been John Stott said, and in regards to being led by the Spirit, is that we never have to be led by the Spirit to share the gospel with somebody because Christ has already commanded us to do so. but the Spirit will lead us to people where God's already working for us to fulfill the commandment which Christ has already given us. <clears throat> so sometimes before I get up, I just start writing random things and so I'm having to figure out where I was supposed to say that line in blue. Anyway, <clears throat> I'm not that organized, y'all. God will use you but well, we must make ourselves available. And just very practical questions. Do you know the gospel, child of God? Do you know the gospel? Do you know how to share it? Because there's a certain sense, now I'm not saying we're professionals by any means, but God wants to use us to take his gospel to people who he's already drawing. Man, there's a, there's a responsibility on our part to know that gospel. Right? Like to be able to share, start with the scripture and share the good news of Jesus. 
And here's what's awesome I love about this story, because so far, like, these stories in Acts, it's like Peter and John healing a lame man or doing this. It's like, but those are all supernatural, crazy things that I don't have the power to do. But this is a simple act of obedience that every single one of us can relate to. All of us can relate, if you're a child of God, being led by the Spirit and following, being obedient to the Spirit and just sharing a conversation with a man and and sharing the gospel, we all can relate to that. God uses his people to make sense of the gospel. Fourthly, and I want to end here before we get ready to take of the Lord's Supper together, is I want to make it crystal clear, and so point number four is God's work in salvation. God's work in salvation. So we've seen God's work in the world, in his people, through his people, and I want you to see, really, here's a little bit of soteriology for you, if you will. Here's a little bit about salvation that we can glean from these texts. Number one is that salvation is initiated by God. Everybody see that in the text? Like it was something just, it wasn't that they they wound up within themselves. No, what we see is that even through even through the eunuch seeking is because God was already seeking him. God provided him a text for him to read. God provided him a way to get to Jerusalem. God provided a man in the middle to share the gospel to him. It was God initiating through leading his his servant. It wasn't something that the eunuch brought upon himself. It was God who initiated the salvation of this man. And for all of us, thanks be to God that my salvation had nothing to do with something that I started. Because if I started it, I can make a wreck of it. If it's because of me, it's something that I've done, then man, I could lose it in a, in a drop of a hat. But thanks be to God that salvation is God's salvation. It is His. It's the Lord's. And for us who have been drawn, it's because God has drawn us to Himself. So maybe you're sitting under the sound of my voice. What does that mean in real life? Maybe you're sitting under the sound of my voice this morning and you suggest that I'm not a Christian, but you, you inside you feel this, you're looking and you know, you're feeling this drawing or whatever you want to call it, or you begin to look at your life and go, is that why God put these people in my life? Is that what's going on here? I would say, yes, it is God drawing you. And listen to me, all who he calls will be saved. Is he calling you this morning? Is he drawing you into a relationship with him? Salvation is initiated by God. Another thing that we see about salvation is that it's in partnership with the word. That God uses his word in the salvation of souls. That we can come up and share good stories and meet people and start talking about, you know, New York Times just dropped this latest article that people are struggling with anxiety. Yes, we know people are struggling with anxiety. New York Times didn't have to tell us that. But that could be our catch bait. But what we do is, is we share the word of God. Because it's alive and it's active. Here's this eunuch that in Deuteronomy was cut off, but in Isaiah was brought back in. What relates to all the messes of the human heart? The Bible. But what provides the fix? The Bible. Hey, we we can't just say we're going to go love on people and fulfill the mission if, if we're not 
doing it through the gospel of Jesus Christ because it alone is the power of God unto salvation. Paul says, I am unashamed of it. I'm not going to retreat. I'm not going to back down. I'm not going to water it down. I'm going to present it because it and it alone is the power of God unto salvation. You see, the word of God where it was humbling and it was drawing. How can I understand this? Man, what if, don't, you, don't we wish all of them were sit up on a tee like that? Don't you wish somebody would come to you, hey man, I've been reading my Bible lately and I'm just not understanding this. Well, let me help you understand. It'd be a great situation, but it's not always that way. The third thing about salvation is that salvation is focused on Christ. AKA is faith in Christ. What did Philip do? Started with that scripture in Isaiah and what did he do? Shared the good news of who? Jesus. That when salvation is we're saved from sin, but we're saved to God via, through Christ Jesus. So my salvation today, I don't find security and hope in anything that I've done. I don't find it in my church membership. I don't find it in my family. What's the only merit that we have in heaven? It's the blood of Christ Jesus. And in Him alone, that's where my faith is. So if I have faith in anything else, then, man, our salvation is going to be rocky and shaky. If my faith is in an experience or even in a church and its methodology, or even in a man. We see it all the time. More and more pastors who are making a shipwreck of their ministries. Our faith is not in a man. It's in, it is a man, but the God-man, Christ Jesus. So salvation is initiated by God. It is accompanied by the Word, and it is pointed to Jesus. Fourth that we see in the Scripture is that it's followed by baptism. Maybe the verse 37 did happen. Do you, what's keeping me? Do you believe Jesus? Yeah, well, let's go get baptized. Notice it came post-conversion. Number one, he was immersed. That's so why we practice immersion and believe that's the most biblical way of baptism. But immediately, what did he want to do? I want to be baptized. I want to confess. I want to profess what's how. I want to be obedient. And plug here, and I know we just went through this pretty you know, straightforward with the church membership stuff. If you're a follower of Jesus and you haven't been obedient in baptism, then then you've been disobedient. And I want to call you to obedience because that's what the Lord Jesus has called us to do is to repent and be baptized, to trust and to follow Him in baptism. And what we see is that salvation is followed by baptism. And here's the last thing is that salvation is fruitful for joy and witness. Look at the end where he says, when they came up out of the water, I'm not going to deal with this, but the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. Very, you know, Elijah, like he was just gone and, could you imagine, Ashley, could you imagine being Philip? I'm in Samaria doing my thing. God's blessing. Everybody's following. Desert, awesome. I meet an Ethiopian. He gets saved. Next thing I know, I'm in Caesarea. I'm like, I'm just, I'm transported over here. It's like, 
God, can you leave me alone? Let me stay somewhere. But what does it say about Philip? He found himself in Azotus and he passed through. What did he do? He preached the gospel there too. Where he found himself. What do we read about the eunuch? Philip did, he didn't see Philip anymore, but the end of verse 39, the eunuch saw him no more and he went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Salvation is fruitful for joy. The joy of that Lord, of the Lord is what our salvation doesn't equal no hardship. It equals joy even in hardship. Why? Because I was once lost, but now I'm found. I was once cut off, but now I'm brought near. There's so much rejoicing, but also it's fruitful for witness. As I said, he, he returned back and became a missionary in Africa. So this morning, have you trusted in Jesus? <clears throat> have you believed the lies of the enemy? You say, I don't know if God would save me. I would say, yes, He would, because you being here is proof that He's seeking you. And He seeks and saves those who are lost. Not just seeks. Not just wines and dines, but He seeks and saves those who are lost. Child of God, this morning as we gather around the Lord's table this morning, remember how Jesus has reversed the curse by becoming cursed so that you and I can be called sons and daughters. As we look at the the bread and the juice, may we remember the, the sacrifice. It caused Him to save the eunuch, Save the Gentile and the Jew. As we gather around the Lord's table this morning, there is no classes of people around the table of the Lord. There's, there's the Lord and all who have trusted in Him. We've seen it just in a chapter where it goes from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and now to the end of the earth. And we all, all are under the blood of Jesus. We all receive the same spirit. We gather together as one around that. The band's going to come back out and they're going to they're lead us through a song as we think about the Lord's sacrifice and how He has afforded us the opportunity to know Him and be called sons and daughters. May that humble us. Maybe that restore the joy. Maybe this morning the Spirit is, maybe the fire, the flame that's been within you that's maybe been quenched, if you will, by cares of the world and this, that, and the other. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is reminding you that He's at work all around you. And He wants to use you for His kingdom, to draw people, to to make people understand the gospel, help people understand the gospel so they can can trust in Him. 
Maybe this morning you don't know Jesus, and everything I said is you, you're, you're still on point one. That God, me seeking or thinking about God is actually Him seeking. Maybe you're stuck on point one of the sermon this morning. Will you trust in Jesus? Will you place your faith? And listen to me, I, 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 I wrote this down, but forgot it. But I just thought about it. Thank you, Lord. Is when it comes to when it comes to salvation, I don't have to understand everything about it. When it comes to God working in me, I don't have to understand everything. When it comes to God leading me to such and such and such and such, I don't have to understand all of that. God doesn't ask me to understand it all. But he asked me to trust and obey. That's the call. So maybe there are things that you don't, I'm just having a hard time with this. You don't have to understand that. Trust in Him. I don't understand how I'm be able to do that. You don't have to understand it. Just trust. And walk in obedience. I don't, I don't know if I, I'm not equipped for that. Well, you don't have to understand if you are or not. He's calling you to do it. Just take one step at a time and do it. I've encouraged somebody, but anyway, if you, if you want to trust in Jesus this morning, I'm going to go stand in the back. I'm going to pray, and then you can stand. The way that we take the Lord's Supper here is that our deacons will come. There will be one in, at the beginning, at the head of each aisle. They'll have communion, communion, uh, COVID communion. Uh, I'll give you a heads up. If you go ahead and kind of break the seal of the, or the crackers, then break the seal of the cup. makes it a little less awkward when you actually get to it. But anyway. They're gonna come down. They're gonna be holding those. You can, when the music's playing, you can stand up and make your way to it. <laughs> you don't have to be a member of Cross Point to take the Lord's Supper with us. Uh, we just ask that you're a follower of Jesus, because if you're not, then it. What does it mean to you? Ultimately, that's a nice way. Like it, it's it's our Lord's Supper. So when He's invited us, and so if He's your Lord. Guess what? We have the same Lord. Come take of, take of the communion. But if He's not, then we'd ask that you just stay seated or standing where you are. Nobody's going to judge. Nobody's even going to be looking around who takes and who doesn't. If somebody looks at you funny, let me know and I'll punch them in the face. But you move. And if you need to talk, like I said, I'll be back there. Maybe you need to give some time and just do some business with the Lord. Like whatever, you got a whole song or longer, however much time you need, to come take and come grab. And you may get suggestion. I just don't feel like I, I need to today. Okay, but let me tell you this. Don't let guilt keeping you keep you from coming to the place that you can find forgiveness of that guilt. Cool? Because he hasn't been great at saving you yet, child of God. His blood is still has been sufficient for your sins even today. Cool? I'm going to pray and I'm going to shut up and get out of the way. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your love for us. God, we thank you for your word how it's alive. God, we thank you that we can see your word and see that you're the star of the show. Not Philip, not Peter, not John, not Stephen, none of us, but you are working in our world, drawing people into your kingdom and sending people into your harvest. God, I pray that even today that you'll draw people to your kingdom, that today you'll send us into your harvest. May we see those people, those places, those conversations that you're leading us to and give us the faith to obey God. If there's anyone this morning who hasn't trusted in you, that today they will trust in you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You can stand.